morning. You guys look like, you look like the weather's gorgeous outside, and you're just ready for a good day, and you came to the first service because you've got things to do, but I, I just believe the Lord's given uh, me a message, and this was one of the easiest that has come to me in a long time, so I'm hopeful that this is going to go really well. <laughs> Let's pray, and then we can kind of get going. Lord Jesus, I just thank you, Lord, for your presence. I just thank you for every person that you brought today. And God, I just pray, Father God, that the eyes of our heart would be open, that you would talk to each and every one of us right where we're at, that every person, even if what I'm talking about doesn't even apply to them, I just pray, God, that you would meet, encounter with them as I speak. God, it's your presence that we long for. It's you we long for. We surrender to your word right now. We surrender to your will. And Lord, I pray that you give me the grace to communicate all that you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to talk to you about this idea of not taking a shortcut. When we look throughout the scriptures and then when we go through our lives, we, we see kind of a very familiar pattern, and that is, is that God is really good and that God has a future, he has plans, he has good things that he wants to give each of us. And what he does is he starts by dropping it in our hearts, and we have desires in our heart that are not evil, but actually very good. And these desires are, are things that God wants to fulfill in us. But God has a way or a process of bringing us from that desire to obtaining what he's placed inside of us. And so God has this process, and this process oftentimes takes time. And it takes kind of some growing pains. If you think of it like a parent, because that's my life, I think of it like a parent, you don't just give your kid a cell phone until they're mature enough to handle it. And you don't give your kid the car until they're ready to handle it. We as parents, we, we train and we equip and we gauge and we coach and we do these things and we bring them to the place, hopefully, where we can give them what, we, what they want. But no parent in their right mind would go and just give a kid millions of dollars and say, buy whatever you want, do whatever you want. Because we all know that most kids shouldn't be, be crossing the street until they're ready. And so God looks at us and he sees us and he, he puts longings to be married, longings to acquire wealth, longings to have peace, a longing to be happy, a longing for joy. God puts longings and cravings and desires in us, and then he takes us through a process, and that process is designed to build us, to equip us, so that when he gives us the blessing, we are ready for it. So God has a destiny and a purpose and even a calling in your life. You may not ever be called to work in a church, but you are designed to make a difference. You are designed to make an impact. You are called, you are chosen to make a mark. 
And there's a longing inside of you to make an impact. But we have to go through this process. So, we, the, pro, so the, the final product does not wear us out and wipe us out and destroy us. So God goes and sets up this process which requires oftentimes patience, believing, and working through hurt and pain and hard things. And then the devil comes along and he knows, he is aware of what we long for and what we desire. And he says, you know what? We can skip all of this and you can just get what you want right now. You see that girl right there? Do you see that job right there? You can just skip all of the pain and just take the bait. And just go and get what you want right now. Skip out on all this waiting. Skip out on all this pain. Just, you, don't, you don't need to suffer. And out of that craving, I mean, I mean, think about all the sins you've committed in your life. And all the, the sins that we as people do. What does it come down to almost all of the time? Trying to get the right thing in the wrong way or at the wrong time or with the wrong person. I mean, seriously, that's how we ruin and blow up our lives and make mistakes because we take the bait because we think that we can skip all the, we run from pain, we run from suffering, we run from patience, and to obtain what we crave. And like I said, what you crave is not necessarily wrong, but when you do it out of step with what God is doing, what God is building, it comes attached with something. You get what you want, and in the moment, it makes you happy. In the moment, you're like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever done. This feels so good. But then, it comes attached with something. Sorrow, pain, bondage. The truth is, is nobody wants to be addicted to anything. But what is it that got us into the addiction? We actually thought it was the answer to our problem. We thought it was the solution that would make us happy. We thought it would bring real and genuine peace into our lives. And the devil always gives a gift with something attached to it. It's kind of like those commercials where they tell you that this drug will change your life and make you live a complete and happy life. And then at the end of the commercial, they start going down the line of all the things that could go wrong. The devil doesn't do that though, does he? He doesn't tell you, well, you know, this is gonna ruin your marriage. Oh, you, don't, you haven't even met your wife yet, but trust me, this is gonna make things very difficult for your future wife. Oh, your kids haven't even been born yet, but just wait till this affects your grandkids and you're experiencing pain from choices of 20 and 30. He doesn't tell you that. And I say that not to create fear, but I say that to, so we can walk in wisdom. And so I want to look at some, some passages of Scripture here today. The first one is in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. I love the book of Proverbs. It's so practical and down to earth. So in verse 22, Solomon says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. That's, that's not a bad verse. You know what I mean? You're like, really? It's like the Bible says that? Yes, the Bible says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, comma. 
And he, that's God, adds no sorrow with it. That is the word of God. That is the will of God for your life. Now, I'm not a name and claim it preacher, but my point is, is that a lot of times we make choices and sacrifice things to obtain money. And a lot of times we obtain money, but sorrow comes with it because we take a shortcut. So we, maybe you're at work and maybe you actually have the ability to touch the money that's in the bank account. So you go there and a person could steal from their place of work and get rich, but eventually it's going to lead to sorrow. A person could get a second job and bust their butt and work so hard to obtain money, and I'm not saying two jobs is evil or wrong, but I'm just saying how many people are anxious from their job and they live in anxiety from their job or jobs and then they have to take all their money and put it into medical bills. Isn't that the, Amer the new American dream? To work a job to take care of your medical bills? But you need the medical, you know, the, the, jo the job is what's creating the problem. Just a thought. Or maybe, maybe we neglect our marriage or our kids because we think that money will make us happy. And so we neglect our families, we climb the ladder, jump through the, the hoops so we can get the promotion because we want the money and all the while we're standing alone because we're divorced or because our kids don't want anything to do with us. See, that, hopefully I'm not throwing anybody into a pit right now, but I want you to see that when we take the bait, it's attached to sorrow. But God's way, when he does it, it says he adds no sorrow with it. So God says, I want to actually bless you. I want to provide for you. I want to take care of you. But I want to teach you how to do this in the right way so that when you get the money, you have a great marriage. When you get the money, your kids like you. When you have the money, you are equipped with how to handle it. Because we all, I mean, I, I'm more convinced than ever that God would give all of us a million dollars if it wouldn't kill us. But God knows they can't handle it. They would blow things up. But I want, to, I want them to learn how to steward what I give to them and they can use it to help people and use it in such a way that doesn't wear them out and wipe them out because I want them to know I'm your provider, not you. And so God will purposely bring us through seasons where it feels like we're dirt poor broke and God's like, yep, they're learning how to, how, how to trust me. They're learning that I'm their provider. So God brings us through this process and you, you, know, you, you, feel like, you feel like you're just dangling in the air and God's like, I got you right where I want you. I'm, I'm building in this in you. I want you to know I'm your provider. I'm the one who makes you happy. Money doesn't make you happy. I'm the one. And so God's building these things, and then he provides what he put in you. And now you understand, God's my provider. I don't have to depend on money. God's the one who will take care of me. I don't need to be anxious. God's my provider. I don't need to be 
freaking out and flipping out and doing all this stuff. And so God, I want you to drive this home because this is a, a huge building block for everything else. God is good, he is your father, and he will take care of you. And he is, end result, the, pr- the place he wants to take you is a place where there is no sorrow attached to the blessing. And so, so looking at that, I want to look at another passage of scripture in uh, Matthew chapter 4, a scripture uh, story that you've probably heard many times. And Jesus has just been baptized, and God, well, the Holy Spirit, has now led him into the wilderness. So he is baptized, filled with the Spirit, has an amazing encounter with God, and then he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Like, that's amazing to me. I'm hungry on day one. Jesus is like on day 40, like, I'm hungry. I'm starting to feel a little something. So then in verse 8, I'm going to skip part of this because I want to highlight something. In verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So I want to I talk about this for a minute. You can take that down, uh, Pamela. So I want you to see how the spirit realm and spiritual warfare works. Uh, you can take that down. I don't, you, I don't know if you heard me, but you're getting on it. Okay, just making sure. In the spirit realm, the devil gets his power through agreement. Processes. The devil gets his power through agreement. In Romans chapter 6, I believe verse 16, the apostle Paul says, Don't you know that whatever you submit to, that becomes your master? It's a spiritual dynamic of how the spirit world works. So I want you to really get this. This is going to be really helpful to a lot of us. The devil cannot get to you unless he gets agreement from you. So I want you to see this here. In the book of Genesis, God creates, you know, all the stars and the planets and the universe. And then he gives the keys of the entire planet to a man. He gives authority. What? So authority is how God's kingdom and how the spirit world works. They have, Adam has all authority on the planet, and God delegates that to him to the degree that God says, all right, you name the animals. Whatever you name it, that's what I'll call it. Whatever you name it, that's what the angels will call it. This is your planet. 
this is your turf. This is not my turf. Here are the keys, Adam and Eve, there you go. And Adam goes and he's like hippopotamus, and he feels really smart about it. It's like he makes these, and he names it, and that's like, this is my plant. You are a king. You are a god, a little g. You are a god on this planet, little g. You are a son of God, and you will be in my image, and you will look like me, and you will reign like me, and you will bring this entire planet into what the kingdom of God should look like. And so God shows up every day, and they have this relationship. And the devil shows up, and he talks about Adam and Eve, and he gets, first of all, he lies to them and says, you know, God's holding out on you. He gave you everything but one tree. This tree, why, why, this is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, listen, if you eat this, your eyes will be opened. And you're going to see what you've never seen and know what you've never known. God's not giving you the big picture. And Adam and Eve think it'll make me like God. It'll give me wisdom. It'll, it'll open up my eyes. And they take the bait. And when they take the bait, they submit. The moment they submit, they have now changed masters. Whatever you submit to, that becomes your master. And so when they yield, they have now become a slave, and they've walked over and handed their keys to the devil. That's how authority works. That's how the spirit realm works. It's all about agreement. The devil's goal is to get you and me to partner with him. When you agree with him, when you agree with his lies, when you partner with him, you come under his rule. You come under his authority. You come under his bondage. So he will take, he will give you bait and say, just take it, just take it, just take it. And you take it, and he's like, now I got you. I got the keys. That's how it is. But what's crazy is that if Adam and Eve would have went through the process of what God wanted, they would have learned the, the difference between knowledge of good and evil. Because God purposely put a tree in their garden, and he says, I'm going to not only give you the ability to choose, I'm going to give you the ability to war. So day after day, they say no to that tree. Day after day, they deny what maybe they desire to do. And, and in the denial and in the process of day after day doing and obeying what God wants, they are actually learning the, the, the knowledge of good and evil. So you can learn the knowledge of good and evil by obeying and submitting to God, or you can learn the knowledge of good and evil by eating the fruit. Both ways you learn, but one ends with sorrow, and one builds you. It builds character. And so we see here the devil has authority over the planet because man has given it to him. So Jesus shows up on the scene. Now this is so interesting because he is fully God. He is fully man. I don't even understand it, but Jesus, who is fully God, it blows my mind that the devil would have the audacity to think that he could tempt the Son of God and make him fall and submit to him. So Jesus shows up with a mission and a purpose. What is that? 
to get the keys back. He cannot get the keys back as God. He has to get it back as man. Because only man have authority to this earth because God has delegated it. And when God delegates, he can't take it back. He, he binds himself that way. So Jesus is fully man. And as a man, he has to get the keys back. So the devil just dangles it. I know what you came here for. You came for all the kingdoms of the world. Take the shortcut. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to be whipped. You don't have to suffer. I will gladly give it all to you if you will just give me what I want. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. He's like, get out of here. You're dumb. And he quotes scripture at him, of course. But what I want you to see here is how the devil tries to tempt Jesus to take the shortcut. And Jesus says, absolutely not. Because Jesus understands, number one, he will choose God's will, which is the cross, which is the process, which oftentimes has pain in it. But Jesus denies what his flesh would desire, and he goes through the process to obtain what God had in store for him. And so we see here, the devil knows that if he can get Jesus to bow down and worship him, then Jesus will become under the devil's rule. He will become under the devil's authority. That is how it works. It's all about submission, and it's all about agreement. Now, uh, the other day on Tuesdays, we, from noon to one o'clock over there in the prayer room, throughout the summer, we're having a prayer meeting, kind of during the lunch hour, and we were uh, sharing testimonies of what God has done, and Emma reminded us of a story that I kind of forgot about, but several years ago, she had experienced a series of car accidents, quite a few, and several of them, she was parked, and, you know, like at, a, at a, I think a stop sign or whatever, and somebody rear-ended her and totaled the car and on, a, on a couple of occasions. And she remembered that during that, around that time, it was a Sunday morning and, uh, in worship, and the Lord spoke to me about uh, car accidents, and so I went up here and I said, I feel like the Lord is doing something and wants to protect people. And I felt like I had a word of knowledge concerning car accidents. And so we, uh, I guess we prayed with her, Rachel and I did. And we broke a spirit of trauma off of her. And you haven't had any car accidents since, right? Or, or do you know? <laughs> you have? You've had, had some? Okay. So, so what, I want you, what I want you to see when you look at this is that the enemy, can, when you agree with the enemy, it opens a door for him to attack you. So, oftentimes when a person is in a car accident, in that moment they have the ability to agree with the spirit. It can be a spirit of fear sometimes, sometimes it's a spirit of trauma or both. I've seen this many times, where a person who is in a car accident in that moment, a spirit will try to jump on them. And the spirit doesn't show up looking like a big old hairy demon. It shows up as a thought in your head. And if you partner with the spirit of trauma, if you partner with the spirit of fear, 
you will actually, in the spirit realm, open yourself up to other future demonic assaults. That is how the enemy gets his power. You open doors when you agree. So, and I'll talk a little bit more about how you break this off. But when you break off a spirit of trauma, it closes a door. Uh, several weeks ago, I was laying in bed, and I was just kind of gearing, you know, kind of clocking out for the night. And as I was clocking out for the night, this thought pops into my head, and I had this strong sense of fear. And the fear was, all of a sudden, this fear of blowing up my life, ruining my life. Like, what if I, a lot of people stumble and fall and make really bad choices. What if, what if in, I, I go and I, what if I go and I ruin it all and screw up and do something really bad? Now, I don't normally think that way. I don't normally partner with that spirit. And to be quite honest with you, I think it was to the right of my bed. I think there was, I think I could sense where the spirit was in the room. In that moment, I was being jumped on. And in that moment, half out of it, I woke right up. And I recognized that I was being assaulted. And in that moment, if I would have partnered with that spirit of fear, it would have opened a door for the enemy to assault me. And so what I, so in that moment, I disagree with that spirit. I said, I disagree with you. I will not partner with you. I repent. God, if I have agreed with fear, if I have done anything in that way, I just repent of that right now in Jesus' name. And so I repented of it. I disagreed with it. And then I told it to get out of here. And then I went back to bed. The next morning... I found myself around several guys, and when I was around them, I sensed that spirit on them. And I recognized that I was being assaulted by the very spirit that they were being assaulted by, and that that is why the spirit came to do war against me. And so we had a prayer time, and in the prayer time, I broke it off of them. Because here's the thing. All right. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me to make this make sense. When Jesus was in, led into the wilderness, it says in the book of Luke, in Luke's account, that Jesus was filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit led him to be tempted in the wilderness. But it says that when he left the wilderness, he was full of the Spirit's power. So there is a dynamic that happens in spiritual warfare when it comes to operating in the power of God. Fasting is somehow, some way, helps us tap into the spirit realm. That is why cults and even satanic groups will fast. Because somehow, some way, we become more in tune with the spirit when we fast. Jesus fasts, and out of that fasting becomes weak, and he lures the enemy, because the enemy thinks, Jesus is weak right now, this is my moment. And a lot of times people think that because they fast, that they've, how do I say this? They think fasting is the war. N not exactly. When you fast, 
you engage in a spiritual battle and you can win or lose in that battle. Jesus, who is the Son of God, was tempted by the devil when he fasted. So when you fast, don't be surprised if you feel tempted. And don't feel guilty about being tempted because if you're tempted, it means you have a pulse. But in the temptation, the enemy's goal is agree with me, agree with me, partner with me. And he throws out all these different things to try to get us to take the bait. Because if we take the bait, it opens a door. And when it opens a door, he can assault us. And so Jesus lures the enemy into a battle. And Jesus, as the Son of Man, has, as the Son of God, he can make worlds. But as the Son of Man, he's not operating the power of God just yet. He has to do this as a man. And so as a man... He has to become weak. As a man, he has to depend on the Father. As a man, he has to rely on God for his strength. And as a man, he has to be tempted in all things. And as he is tempted, he breaks down agreement. He breaks off agreement. He breaks off agreement. He breaks off agreement. Listen, a lot of times, you don't realize that your spiritual authority is directly connected to your spiritual battle. When you operate in the spirit realm, you will, you will find yourself in warfare. But you don't, but a lot of times we don't realize that when they come to assault you and you break off the agreement and you say, I will not partner with this, then you operate in power. Jesus said it like this, his disciples tried cast, had, had cast out demons. They had an experience of casting out demons. This boy had demons. They couldn't cast him out. Jesus shows up, cast it out like that. How did he do it like that? Oh, well, that's easy. Jesus did it because he's the son of God. No, that's not why he did it. He did it as a son of man. If he did it as a son of God, you know, it's still pretty cool. But he did it as a son of man. And so what he does as the son of man is he boots that thing like it's effort, effortlessly. And the, team, and, the, and the demons, the disciples, how come we couldn't do that? We did all the same things, said all the same things. Well, we, we've done this before, Jesus. Why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus said, this kind, this kind comes out only by fasting and prayer. They're like, but Jesus, you didn't fast or pray in this moment. And Jesus is like, that's because I already won the battle. I face the very top tier of the demonic realm. Every demon is, that is under the devil's authority, I went toe-to-toe, -to -toe, I lured the enemy into a battle. And when I faced the, the king of the demonic realm, every single principality and power and demon has to obey because I took down the leader right there. You what? Yes. Jesus res you know, resisted the temptation. He won the battle, and from that point forward, operated in the power of the Spirit. And so a lot of times, our spiritual battles, have you ever, have you ever seen, or in your life, or in other people's life, the battle that you overcame, you have authority over it? The battle that you overcame, you can just knock it off of people. 
Break off a spirit of fear. Break off a spirit of trauma. Break off a spirit of poverty. You can operate in the spiritual authority when you disagree and break off what is happening in, in the spirit realm. And you have been given all authority, but don't give your authority away. Is this making sense? All right. It's really quiet in here, but I, I, I'm trusting that you're thinking and I'm hoping you're understanding. I want to look at Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 is in the context of the people of God have entered into the promised land and they are trying to boot out other nations that are in their promised land. They are trying to cleanse, supposedly cleanse the land of all the, the devil worship and satanic occultic worship that is happening there. And uh, the people are supposed to, they all get you know, their, their own little inheritance of land. But the people did not obey God. Instead of booting out the other nations, they started making treaties or covenants with them. Instead of destroying their places of worship, they, started, they left these, these altars and these shrines and these things up there and joined and partnered with them. And I want you to see in the Old Testament picture of how agreement works in our daily life. Judges chapter 2, verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord, now many believe, and I am one of them, that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is actually Jesus. That he, he's, Jesus is not an angel, but angel simply means messenger. But uh, in, in the context of the, they say of the, the Hebrew writing, that many people believe it's referring to Jesus. So the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall, you shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Now look at verse 3. This is very interesting that God would say this. Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, I, that's God, said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted up their voices and wept. So in the Old Testament, when the people were entering into their promised land, it is a, Old Testament battles are a picture of modern day spiritual warfare. So when you look at this story, the people enter into the land, they get some wins, they get some victories, and then they have some struggles and they go back and forth. But God said, when you go in there, they have places where they worship false gods. They worship actual demons and principalities. When you go in there, you destroy their places of worship. Have nothing to do. You destroy what is on that land. And then he says, another thing. 
Do not partner with them. Do not make a peace treaty. Do not make an agreement. You drive them out because they will cause you to worship their gods. You ha- it's, 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 it's like, I know it sounds brutal for God to have them kill people, but he understands if you don't drive them out, they will destroy you. If you don't destroy what they worship, it will destroy you. And so what happens in our lives is God wants us to uproot these places of agreement in our lives. Now, you can spend all your time trying to break the bondage of pornography or drugs or spending, and you can try and try and try and try, but you're never going to get the victory until you tear down the altar, until you uproot what was planted. Now, once you uproot it, there's still a process, but you have to start at part one. Because when we, your parents might have opened you up to something. Your parents might have partnered with something, and that allowed demons into your home. You may have partnered with, with some things. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, it talks about the word sorcery? It talks about the end of the world, and it's ta- in, the, in the context of the end of the world, it talks about sorcery. You know, when I think of sorcery, I think of Jafar. You know, you got the, you know, the whole uh, Aladdin movie and all that. But the, the word sorcery is actually the Greek word pharmakeia, which is where we get our word for pharmacy. It's drugs. In, in other countries, they call them witch doctors, right? The occultic realm thrives on drugs, even legal ones. And there are a lot of Christians that are doing drugs so they can have peace. Marijuana, I know, is, you know, they made it illegal, but it is a false peace. It's false. That's the way the demonic realm works. You don't have to fix, work through your problems, just take a drug. You don't have to get inner healing, just avoid it, watch a lot of TV, and take a pill. And I'm not saying this judgmental of anybody. I'm just saying, I know how the spirit realm works, and I have gotten my butt kicked by, and I never want to get my butt kicked again. And so I have learned that I have to break off covenants, agreements with the demonic realm, or I have no authority to boot them. You can cast out a demon of poverty. Do you know there's a demon of of poverty? We live in Butte. We know. You're right. It is is a stronghold in Butte. Poverty is a a stronghold in Butte. And I used to partner with it. And you know what it did? It affected my finances. It does. When When you partner with poverty that you never have enough, it's all on me, and a subtle lie that I'm the provider of this home. When you partner with the spirit of poverty, a spirit of not having enough, it will affect your finances and cars will break down and money will go out of your pockets because you opened it up to the demonic realm. And so you, you can't, but you can cast out whatever you want to cast out and the demon's like, I'm not leaving because we got a covenant. We have an agreement 
and I'm sorry, this contract right here, or whatever, this contract says that you agreed with me, so I don't have to leave. And that pastor of yours that cast me out, I can come back. You know why? He may have all authority over me, but we have a, a deal. And so how do, how do you break this off? Well, really, I don't want to dive too deep into this, but in a very simple sense, the first thing you do is you repent. You have to repent. And I wish I had all day long to tell you what repentance is, because a lot of times we don't know what it really is. But repentance is changing the way you think. So I would say, what I do is I verbally, you have to be verbal because a demon can't read your mind. I repent for partnering, so to speak, let's say with the spirit of fear. I repent, Father God, for partnering with the spirit of fear. I, I change the way I think. I, dis, I just want nothing to do with this. I'm so sorry. I refuse to, I'm breaking this off. And then you renounce. So repent, renounce. And you say out loud, I disagree I disagree with what I thought, with what I did. I'm sorry for what I did. I renounce it. I disagree. And once you've broken that contract, then you can cast it out. And now, spirit of fear, get out of here now in Jesus' name. It's that simple. Repent, renounce, boot. And if it comes back the next day and says, oh no, you're, you're still in bondage, you say, you're a liar. I have no contract with you. Get out of my life. I disagree with you. We've broken up. We're divorced. All right? So it's important in the process. There's more to it than, than, than this in terms of inner healing and getting peace and all that. But this is the starting ground. You can't get anywhere until you cast out your agreements. All right, so I want to look now at James chapter 1. Verse 17. So James says in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So this is the nature and the character of what God is like. God only gives good gifts. So when bad things happen, truly bad things, God wasn't in that. God didn't do it. That might mess with a lot of people's theology, but if it's not a good gift, then it's not from God. And if some of you actually believe that God gives bad gifts and then you accept them from the devil, and the devil's like, keep agreeing with me, keep agreeing with me, and literally your life is taking a beating because you don't even know what's from God and what's not from God. But nevertheless, every good, every perfect, perfect, there's no mistakes with God, is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights. Now, the context points as the Father of lights, the Father of the sun, the stars, the moon, you know, looking out the sky, and he's saying, God is the father of lights, but lights change. The sun's right, probably right around there, 
but later it's going to be around there. The stars sometimes can be seen, but other times you can't see the stars. Sometimes the moon's this way and you see a quarter moon or a half moon or a full moon. The moon may change, the sun may change, the stars may change, but God does not change. So, this is a big idea. If it's good, if it's perfect, it's from God. And God doesn't do anything wrong or bad, and he doesn't change. Why would he say all this? What's the context for what we're talking about in this verse? Well, let's read a few verses before that in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. What's interesting is that word blessed, you know, a lot of times we turn into a church, you are blessed, are you? Blessed, are you? No, that word means like, you're happy. Like, you ask most Americans, what do you want in life? They say, I want to be happy. That's what this verse is talking about. You want to be happy? Do you want what you, what you really want on the inside? Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. You know, it's weird as I was looking at that, and it says, it doesn't say evil desires. It doesn't say wicked desires. It just says their own desires. And enticed. That word enticed means, literally means to be lured with bait. There was a, a term they used in fishing and in hunting. And we all know, as Montana folk, how that works. Each one is tempted and drawn away by their own desires, and then they're lured with bait. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. One of the beautiful things about life is our choices have consequences. And our consequences are one of the healthiest things that could happen to us. I cannot tell you how many times I worked with teenagers over the years and they would get, you know, get into some not so good places and they would pretty much be like, you know what, you're an idiot. I don't agree with you. I don't believe in this God stuff right now. I think God wants this and I think God wants that. And then they would go off and they would live and do what they want to do. And they knew it all. You know, that's how it is. They're, they're experts at age 17. And by the time they're 20 and 21, they're calling me up and they're saying, boy, I wish I listened to you. Why? Because the fruit of sin is death. And I am so glad when God opens up our eyes to the messes we've made. A lot of times we think to ourselves, oh, I've made such a mess and I feel bad about it. And I'm like, this is the best place to be. Because now you realize that you were wrong. And you realize that you need to change. And you realize what's not working. Now is your turnaround moment. Don't beat yourself up. 
This is the turnaround. Because now you have the ability to see. But then in verse 15, or actually no, verse 16, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Verse 17 is what we read earlier. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So we see here this very well-known verse of Scripture is placed in the context of temptation. And I kind of was wrestling a little bit like, God, what what should people do? Katie, you want to come up here? What should people do with everything that I believe the Lord wanted to share? And I felt like the Lord was saying, what I really want them to do is believe me. You guys are like, Daniel, that's all you got? I know, that's what I felt like too. God was just, I mean, point blank. I want them to believe me. In the face of temptation, in the previous verses, the answer to fighting temptation is to believe in the goodness of God and in the perfectness that he is going to give you what is just right. That's really the crux of it all. If you can learn to believe God, you will wait on God. And you will go through the process. And when things come your way that look enticing, that seem like it's what you want, you will say no because this is, this is what God has for me. This is lesser. This is not what God has called me to. I have something greater. And I guess the imagery that the Lord gave me, it was, it was almost like a beacon of light, like a lighthouse. It's almost the way I would describe it. Like a lighthouse in the night is the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the perfection of God, and his heart for you and for me. That he's saying, I'm not here to punish you. I'm not here to you know, make, you know, try to ruin your life. Do you want to be happy? Do you want real happiness? Then do you see that light? That is the perfect image. That desire, that longing, that dream, that person, that marriage, that financial situation. That is what you want then you follow that light. You follow that desire. You don't get distracted by this, and when you fall down, you get back up. You keep your eyes on me and my faithfulness for you because your faith will be enough. A lot of times, I, the way I roll, I'm like, oh Lord, please guide me. I don't wanna get, get this wrong, and I can get all anxious about decisions. God, should I go to the left or go to the right? And God's kinda like, I want you to relax. No, God. We, I could, I could ruin this by making the wrong choice. Do you realize, God, that I need to be right? And God's like, Daniel, you need to understand, I am so good. My ability to lead you is better than your ability to follow. My ability to speak is greater than your ability to hear. You don't need to depend on your ability to hear and your ability to follow, but you need to trust in my ability to lead you. So when you go through life, maybe you're on a journey for peace. Maybe you're on a journey for happiness. Maybe you need help in your finances. Maybe you just desperately want your family or your marriage or things to get better. 
And the Lord is saying to you today, you have that desire because I put it in there. But you will not get it apart from faith. You will not get it without locking your gaze on me, disagreeing with this demonic realm, not taking the bait, but believing in the goodness of God. And just if you fail, get back up and just start heading there again. You just want to stand up. Prayer team, if you were on the prayer team, please come up here to the front. In just a moment, I'm going to pray over you, and uh, then, then we'll be dismissed. When we are dismissed, you can come on up and get some prayer if you'd like. It doesn't have to be about what I preach about, whatever you, know, whatever you need, whether you want just prayer, whether you need a healing, whether you just need peace. Um, come on up, and they'll pray for you. And uh, God will hit you up. So, Father, we just come before you. And, Lord Jesus, if there's anything in our lives that we need to break off, I ask, Lord, that you would reveal that to each of us right now. Now, maybe a thought came into your mind. Maybe a memory. And the Lord is revealing it to you because he wants you to divorce it today. So the first thing you do is you repent of it. You ask God for forgiveness for what you've done. So just do that right now. You don't have to be super loud about it. Just quietly, just repent. Change the way you think. Tell God you're sorry. And change the thought patterns that got you into that place in the first place. The next thing you want to do is you want to renounce it. So you have to verbally uh, disagree with it. I disagree and just name what it is and what you partner with. Maybe it was fear. Fear opens up more doors to Christians than probably anything else. If you partner with fear, break it off. The scriptures say that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And now, tell it to leave and never to return to you or your family again. Lord Jesus, we want to partner with you today. I thank you that your word says that he whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You came to set us free. And Lord, if there's any other thing in our life that we need to break off, God, I pray that, that you would just break it off. I plead the blood of Jesus over every person in this place, over every family here, the protection of God, the protection of Jesus' blood. We plead over every person and every family represented here. I declare your homes will be homes of peace. I declare you have peace in your mind. I declare you have peace in your heart. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you will guide us for the, all the following steps. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Have a great week.